what is up everyone i hope you're doing fantastically well on this wednesday may 12th i am rafael garcia and i'm here with my co-host each and every week as we usually try to do sean humes how are you doing sir good good just busy as usual always something getting ready girls graduation is like i think three or three weeks and then get ready for summer. Nothing exciting, just just parent stuff. You know what? I don't I don't envy you one bit. I'm sitting here chilling. I haven't there hasn't been another person in my house in a couple of weeks, and it's always quiet. So I don't envy you one bit, there, sir. Yeah, I don't get much quiet time. I pretty much have no space where they're not infesting or matriculating or dominating, and I just leave the room, and then they come whatever room I'm at. They just Go to another room and talk around me. It's very weird. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the Family Guy situation you got there, sir. So, um, let's talk about some MMA because this is episode two hundred and four of the MMA Ratings Podcast, and I'm here to talk about a few different things with Schwan, including this Saturday's big showcase with UFC two sixty two. Well, it's not as big as it should have been, but we do have an important main event to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about Canelo stopping Billy Joe Saunders and what that means for him, and also some other news pieces that came out across the week rather recently. So before we do so, I want to always thank everyone who's taking the time to listen to our content, share, and support our work. You can find us in multiple places, including our flagship over at MMARatings.net. You can start there. And you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at MMARatings.net in both spaces and across multiple podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, uh, Radio Public, Spotify, and Anchor. Myself, you can find me on all social media channels as R. Garcia Sports and Shwaj Humes at Black Jordan Breen. So feel free to give us a follow, give us a shout out, and we will return the love the best that we can. But Shwan, let's go ahead and jump into this main event at UFC 262 on Saturday, where we have Doe Bronx fighting against Michael Chandler for the lightweight title of the world. And of the if of all the most improbable fights we could be having as a main event five-round fight for a title, this has got to be one of them. If you would have told us about a year ago that Oliveira and Chandler are going to be fighting for the UFC lightweight title, we would have looked at you like, are you sure about that? Like, in what world is that going to happen? But here we are. We got that fight on Saturday, and it's a pretty big moment, Sean. First, let's talk about how you think the fight's going to go down. Let's start well, there and, and go on to some other stories from there. First off, I, I wanted to thank Michael Chandler because if he wins, he'll be the second black champion <laughs> in the, the U.S. lightweight division. And then also, think about this, Rafael. Think about you this. brushing that little boy's head? Wait a minute. If he wins this title, then we can have Nganu, Adesanya, Usman, and Chandler in Africa headlining. Black champion. I would, I would, I would, I would pay for that. Did you see him? Did you see him brushing that little boy's head? I felt so bad. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I don't want to crack on it too much as a parent because he did adopt a child. He seems to be quite right. in love with a child, and that's fabulous. And that's why it shows me such pride to see a black father taking charge of a black son like that. He, he's the parent I do. Have that's you? Seen, did you watch? Um, this is us. Yeah. 
So you remember the first season where the white mom was unsure of if she had to put suntan lotion on her black son? Yes. That's what this moment was. I laughed so hard when I finally saw that that, uh, that episode where she just want, she wanted to ask a black mom so badly, does she need to put suntan lotion on her black son? And you could tell she wanted to. And when she finally got the opportunity, you could see the weight get lifted off of her shoulders. I want to call Michael Chandler and be like, dude, let's talk about brushing your son's hair, going with the grain, making sure he has a good edge up. Let's get his lineup done correctly. You make sure that you use the right guards and cutting. It's like, but we're not going to do that here or there. I mean, because I got fish hair all over the place. And you see, me, I'm growing my locks back. So I'm not going to talk about anybody's hair right now. But, but somebody, somebody in his camp should. He he has some black friends, I assume, black teammates. Somebody should pull him to the side and just, hey, man, I'm not trying to tell you how to do this, but I'm a black person. We need to start a conversation. Let's have a conversation about this. But uh, talk to me about the fight, man. How do you see this main event going on Saturday? Uh, it's really simple to me. Um, I have no confidence in either fighter's ability to take sustained punishment or dynamic punishment. Um, Oliveira, everybody keeps telling me how much better he is, and he is, but he's better be more disciplined, more poised. His striking isn't so wild. It's very deliberate. It's well set up. His, his guard's a little bit more stable and dependable. It's not because all of a sudden he can take a whole bunch of punishment because when he's been touched, his head still snaps back. Uh, even Tony Ferguson had a couple moments where he was pushing him back with strikes. I don't think his durability or his ability to recover from damage is any better than it was two years ago, five years ago, six months ago. What I do think is he's a little bit more defensively responsible and he sets up his offense on the feet so he's less exposed and he has opportunities to take advantage of his length to kind of trap you on the fence, chop you up from a distance and get in safely on entries for takedowns for the grappling. Um, He's improved in his setups, he's improved his execution and he's improved in the balance of his all skill set. But physically, He's still very, to me, very shaky. He's big, he's strong, but he's not very durable to me. He doesn't recover very well. And that the same thing can be said for his opponent. Michael Chandler is still probably one of the better athletes in 155, probably one of the bigger hitters. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Michael Chandler, last three or four years I've seen him take punishment, he hasn't taken it the same way as he took it before. He used to walk through abuse. Now, even when guys who are middle-level type strikers, middle-level type power, put kicks on him, put punches on him, it slows him or it stops him, and he has to reset. So to me, the fight comes down to whoever's going to get whoever first. If Charles Oliveira comes out, lands a big front kick and puts some shots behind it, I expect him to win. If Michael Chandler comes out there and puts that new right hand nuke across his face, I expect him to win it. I don't really see either one of them being able to take, take a big shot and recover or take a bunch of shots and be able to get control of the fight again. I think whoever gets hurt badly first, whether they get it, go out that round or they make it through the round, pretty much is never going to get control of the fight again. I, I just don't have any faith in either one of those guys. So the in, the question is, who's going to be able to get to their spots first? Who's going to be able to do the most damage first? And I, and I mean like clean power shots. Whoever mm-hmm. does that, I, I think is going to win the fight, regardless of whatever happens from that time on. Whoever lands the most damage shots right off the bat is probably going to win it. I'm interested in this fight looking a lot like Oliveira versus Felder where Oliveira got out to a really hot start, took Felder's back, almost looked like he had him dead to rights, but was unable to get to finish. And then in the very next round, he gets himself finished pretty early. I'm thinking that's where this fight looks, or how this fight is, is going to look. I don't expect it to go all five rounds. Um, one of these two guys are going to get finished, and it could end, it could end in the first, for all we know. I mean, Oliveira has some dynamic jujitsu, and he hits stuff. 
that almost isn't supposed to work. I mean, you see, like his he has two anaconda chokes, and the way he does it is just like that. That's not I could never teach that. That's not supposed to work. And he makes it work, and he and he gets these finishes. So you can see it happening like that, and you can see Chandler blowing his doors away, just like he did uh, Dan Hooker. He's always shown that he can't take a a lot of punishment. It's been a while since he's had to take a lot of punishment. I mean, he didn't against Tony Ferguson. He didn't against Kevin Lee. So it's been a little while since he's been in a situation where he's taken a wealth of punishment. But you always had that thought in the back of your head whenever you think about um, Charles Oliveira. And this is a fight where he can find himself under a lot of pressure. Yeah, the, if, the Oliveira's look very good in his win streak. But when you look at the guys he's beaten, Clay Guida... Iago, Smiller, Tamor, Lance, Gordon, Lee, Ferguson, the version of Ferguson he fought, none of these guys is within two or three levels of the athlete that Michael Chandler is. None of these guys have his power. None of his have his athleticism. None of them even have his wrestling, if we're, if we're being straight up. None of them have the ability to dictate where the fight goes, the ability to scramble and create escapes, or the ability to really put him away with any shot they land. None of those guys has that. So for the first time, he's facing a guy who any shot he throws could have potentially end the fight. And a guy who, even though even though Oliveira's got the length and he can chop him up a distance with front kicks of the body, front kicks of the face, a long jab, long right hand, it gives him a lot of space to maneuver and create from because he's got the range. Chandler's got to close more space. Chandler's got such quick feet and such quick hands that he can, even if Oliveira essentially hits the right angle, Chandler's able to just explode through that and beat him to an angle or beat beat him to a better angle just off of speed alone. Oliveira is a better striker. He's a more poised striker. He's still not super technical. He's still not the super defensively sound. Tony Ferguson, obviously a taller, longer fighter, was still getting to him in spots. Um, if I recall correctly, I think even Kevin Lee had a few moments against him. It wasn't anything dynamic, but I think even Kevin Lee had moments where he was able to get to certain positions and land certain shots. And Kevin Lee isn't a big hitter, isn't as strong, isn't it? isn't the athlete that Michael Chandler is. Um, the biggest thing for Chandler is, can he navigate consistently that distance without getting caught on the way in? Because if he gets stunned and gets dropped, Oliver can finish him, rear naked choke, guillotine choke, whatever he wants. The man, the difference is, is he can be able to get his way through that range. If he gets himself through that range and he can get to the body and get to the head, it's going to be a short knife for Oliveira. But the matter is, can he get through that? Because he's a fast starter. Chandler's a fast starter. When he doesn't get off to a fast start, and clearly succeed control, and the fight goes over distance, he tends to slow down a little bit. His defense tends to lapse a little bit. His offense tends to lapse a little bit. And with those kind of gaps as far as distance and range and the fact that he can't just use a takedown to uh, have a safety zone where he can rest and kind of re reset, that's mm-hmm. dangerous. So I would think it's in his best favor to win the fight in the first round or two. Oliveira could win the fight in the first round or two. Oliveira could win the fight in the last two ten seconds of the fifth round because prowess and the, the fact that he's willing to, he'll he's he's usually now he's setting up position position and going for submission, but he's willing to just go for something because of his length and his athleticism. He's willing just to go for it, so he can win the fight beginning to end. Michael Chandler, I don't believe can win the fight beginning to end unless he's either in complete control or close to it. Because later in the fights against Ben Henderson, against other guys, Primus. Later in fights, he stopped looking the same. Against Eddie Alvarez, later in fights, he stopped looking the same. I, I, I fully expect the same thing to happen. I think he needs to win this fight in the first or second round, pretty much. Uh, Oliveira probably has from round one to round five to win it. 
So what I'm interested because there are some things you said that I don't totally agree with. I feel like these both men have fought individuals who have pieces of each other's game, but they don't have the, the full um, the full gamut of a skill set. Shawan, do me a favor, turn your camera off and turn it back on. I think you froze. Turn it off and on. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. Uh, there it is. Uh, turn your camera off and turn it back on first for a second. But um, in reference to who they fought, like if you look at uh, Ch Chandler's uh, his resume, he's never been submitted in in his career, and I'm interested in seeing what his jujitsu looks like if that is what Oliver goes to early. Um, he was able to submit Marcin Held. Marcin Held is a great grappler, but that was ten years ago, and he submitted him in the first round. So is, is he a great grappler? Because he got out grappled by Hell yes, Marcin Hell is a fantastic. Look at his look at his competitive grappling uh, space, it's, and even in MMA, dude, he had I think he has the record for like leg lock finishes in the game right now. The dude has how many? He has fourteen wins by subs. The dude he he'll put your leg on backwards if you fuck around and mess with him wrong. I think he's very good, but it's like part. It's like anything else. You're telling me a good wrestler or something in the MMA? Well, how many good wrestlers have you taken now? You tell me a good striker. Don't tell me the wrestlers you beat up on the feet. How many good strikers did you beat up? I don't know how many good grapplers held actually finish. I'm not saying he's not good. I just don't know how many top-end grapplers he's actually dominated. I know a lot of kickboxers and, and wrestlers he's finished and average strikers. I don't know how many elite-level, when he faced comparable grapplers like Diego Sanchez or I guess Michael Chandler now, he got kind of handled. So I'm not saying he can't grapple. I'm just in that context. I don't know. That's just me, though. But if you look at the way those guys fought him, I'll use uh, Sanchez as an example. Sanchez didn't go grappling for grappling with him. He used his wrestling and his grappling to stay out of Marcin's game. So that's, that's how you got to kind of look at that. Like, for example, when Gray Maynard fought um, Ryan Hall, you can't say Gray Maynard's not a great wrestler, but he knew that he couldn't consistently wrestle against Ryan Hall because he's going to get himself twisted up into knots. So you use that skill set to keep yourself out of the other person's danger zone. So I'm wondering if Chandler will be able to keep himself out of Oliveira's danger zone and, and stay away from his subs, especially early in the fight. Because if you look at what Oliveira does, he gets a lot of nasty subs early in the fight. He doesn't get them late. He gets them early. So I wonder if he's going to be able to stay out of that out of that space. And then when I look at Oliveira, he's fought some big punchers like uh, Jeremy Stevens, but that was at 145. You know, he's fought some solid wrestlers. Kevin Lee's a good wrestler. Nick Lance is a great wrestler. So he's fought some good wrestlers, but he hasn't fought anybody that's like that package, that package that can, that can defensively wrestle the way Chandler does and uses that to stay on his feet and put you out. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing how those two Dynamics play against each other. Um, I, I I know Oliver is going to be the taller man, but I expect Chandler to be the bigger, like weight wise. So there's a lot to, in, in this fight that I'm really interested in, in seeing how they play off against each other. The biggest issue I see with Oliver is the issues I've always had with him. First is a certain caliber of athlete. He always finds a way to lose the most part. And then this entire win streak he's been on, the best win is Tony Ferguson. And Tony Ferguson, one, was never an elite athlete. And two, was nowhere near the, the elite version of Tony Ferguson he was even two years ago. So he hasn't shown an ability to get over the hump against a certain class of talent. He still hasn't shown that. At least Michael Chandler's beaten elite talent, whether it was a long time ago, 
years ago, whatever. At least he's done it. Charles Oliveira has consistently lost against the best fighters he's faced. Donald Cerrone, um, Anthony Pettis, who else? Max Holloway. Just every really high-end guy he's faced has found a way to beat him. All these guys he's beaten on the way to this title fight are second and third tier fighters. No offense to them. They're fighters. I'm not. Let's just stay facts as far as records, level opposition, and how they've done, win or lose. Second or third tier fighters he's beaten on the way to this title fight. That's why this is, is so amazing to people. It is because he hasn't been beating the name guys. He has not beaten Gaethje, McGregor, Poirier. He hasn't beaten any of those guys. He beat a used-up Tony Ferguson. That's who he beat. He hasn't beaten any of the other named guys in the division. He didn't beat Khabib. He hasn't even fought Khabib. So he's beaten – he's like Donald Cerrone. He's beaten the best of the rest. And because he's beaten so many of them and certain things are falling in his favor, now he's put in position where he's getting a title shot. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying if you look at who he's beaten, it's not the guys who've beaten him historically in his career. So if he beats Michael Chandler, it'll be the first time he's beaten an elite talent – or an elite fighter, pretty much in his career. An elite fighter by record, um, resume, and by accomplishment. Everybody else he's beaten has been second or third tier fighters. I mean, I'm not making it up. This is what his record says. So I would disagree with the to- I, I would disagree with that in some spaces, like the let me see. Let me look back at his, at his record real quick. I, I think I mean, the, the, the I'm not saying he has, I'm not saying he can't fight. I'm not saying he hasn't gotten better. He has, but he hasn't faced the things that have always caused him problems. High-end power, high-end athleticism, guys who are used to competing and beating the best. He still hasn't shown me he can beat that hump. I know beating Tony for something, but A, he won that fight, he dominated. But even then, Ferguson had moments. If Ferguson knew how to build off his jab or build off a, a structured game plan, Ferguson might have had something for him. Ferguson, that's not how we fight. So his, his lack of continuity in his fight style got him beat against Charles Oliveira and the fact he's not who he was physically. But Charles Oliveira has never beaten a high-end athlete. I, I don't know. I've never seen him beat one. Uh, I'll disagree with you there, my friend. Um, I think that there's plenty of guys that he beat when they were probably at their high-end athletic peak. Like Even if you look at Darren Elkins, the fight he had back in 2010, when he beat Elkin, Elkins 11 years ago, Elkins has gone on runs since then, two sustained runs of five wins or more. So, guys, he's, he's beaten quality guys. I do think the Tony Ferguson win is, is, is his most valuable one. I think you're kind of discrediting that a little bit too much, especially if you look at what Ferguson did over an extended pin, uh, point in time. Ferguson lost to guys who were above him at that point in time. I mean, losing to... Justin Gaethje and then saying that Ferguson isn't elite because he lost to Justin is like saying that um, is like saying that John Stockton isn't an elite basketball player because he didn't win a chip while Michael Jordan was in the league. Like he, you're still an elite performer, but there's somebody there that's better than you that's going to that's going to outpace you along the way. So I, I think that's that's a little bit unfair to kind of say there when you, when you look at his I just, I just have to see him against the best of the best I've never seen him against the, I've seen Connor against the best win or lose I've seen him at moments I've seen Poirier I've seen Khabib I've seen Gaethje I've even seen Ferguson against the best of the best I've even seen Cerrone against the best of the best I've just never seen Oliveira well he fought Max Holloway best of the best lost that pretty pretty handily I mean I've never seen him against the, he fought Anthony Pettis when Anthony Pettis wasn't even the best of the best any back then I haven't seen him against elite guys in this entire run he's been in. 
He's never somehow never fought any of the elite guys in the division. No Poirier, no Gaethje. Gaethje fights everybody. No Poirier. Poirier fights everybody. No Connor. Connor. No. No Khabib. How did he avoid all these guys? How did I mean, he? He fought Frankie Edgar. He who champion multiple times uh, title contender. I think he beat Edgar. No, I know he he lost to him, but I'm saying like you're saying he didn't fight anybody. He fought Cup Swanson. That's another um, title challenger. He uh, but he yeah. lost there. Um, he hasn't beaten the. I mean, he beat Will Brooks. I mean, so that's someone who beat Chandler twice, stopped him, and stopped him both times. So I think he can, he can compete with the best. I just haven't seen him really beat them. I'm not saying he's gonna. He has a good chance of winning this fight, but if he beats Chandler, it is literally the best win of his entire career. Best. Of I, have, I, I can agree with that. If he if he um if he picks up that win, um, I was going to ask, is the winner of this fight a the legit champion, or do you see Dustin Poirier as still like the legit lightweight uncrowned champion? Um, I get. I mean, they'll have the title. So, and Dustin didn't take the fight. So, to a certain degree, you have to give them legitness. And if you want to really go on it, Chandler went. For, if he wins, he went from being the best, one of the one of the best or the best lightweight of all time at, at um, Bellator, and essentially without too many hiccups came right over to UFC and became that. So you could say there's some kind of continuity in a sense. So maybe he has that argument. But then once again, I, I don't know that either one of these guys beats Connor. I don't know that either one of these guys beats Justin. I don't know that either one of these guys beats Poirier. Neither one of them will have faced an elite lightweight. The closest thing to an elite lightweight they will face will have been each other. They haven't faced any, any, of, any of the other real threats in the division. So, um, yeah, they'll be the chance. consider Patricio a real threat? Yeah, yeah, Patricia would be. But, I mean, just, just in the UFC. But outside of that, yeah, Patricia would be. Um, and I better say I know his manager, but I'm just joking. He's going to listen to the show. But, um, like, a champion, I, I don't know that I favor them over anybody. I mean, favor over Poirier, Connor, or, or Justin. I, I can't say that. I wouldn't favor either one of them over Khabib. So, it's like, they'll, they'll just be the guy who won the belt now, which makes them the best because the belt's open and, and they win it. So, whoever wins it is the best guy at 55 until someone proves otherwise. Okay. Okay. Who do you think they fight next? Do they fight Connor, Connor or Dustin? I don't know. I really think Connor's going to come back and win this fight. I, I really yeah. feel like yeah. – but but he, he could not. The thing about it is Dustin has said, I don't – I want big fight. I feel like Dustin's not in this sport five years from now. I feel like he's trying to get the biggest fights possible yeah. the hell out. I don't think he cares about the title. If they're going to really pay him money to do it, sure. Otherwise, he's going to call somebody out with the name. Hell, if he beats Connor again, I think he might not see Dustin Poirier again. That's two huge paydays, two big events. He, had a, he already fought Khabib. He's fought Justin. He's fought every name in there. Michael Chandler is fairly popular, but he ain't, he's not a Connor. He's not even a Khabib in popularity yet. True. It doesn't do anything for Dustin. I mean, yeah, he might win the title, but what if he loses? And even if he wins the title... People consider him right now even better than Chandler anyways. I mean, a win over, let's face it, a win over Connor, even though Connor isn't sharp and everybody says he's a hype job, is still the biggest win in Khabib's career. It's still the biggest win in Dustin Poirier's career. He's a hype job. He's a fraud. So why isn't the biggest win in their careers? He's it's the crazy. highest salaried athlete from 2020, air quotes. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's the biggest win. Khabib, all his other wins, ever got the hype over Connor. All of Dustin's wins put together, never got the hype except the win he has over Connor. Nate Diaz, all his wins, nothing compares to him beating Connor McGregor. 
it just carries more weight. So I think if Dustin beats Connor again, I don't know that you see Justin Poirier again. Not for the, not for what the UFC is paying. I don't know. Um, Tony Ferguson's fighting on his card. He has a fight against Benil Dariush, which I think is a big fight for uh, Benil because he's been trying to figure out a way to crack that top five, top ten, and this is an opportunity for him there. How do you see this fight going out? I hope they end up in a grappling fest, but I don't think it will. I think this is the best bet for Benil to actually through and beat a, and get a name guy. Like I said, Ferguson's not totally done. But Ferguson is not the athlete he used to be. His chin isn't what it used to be. His cardio doesn't seem to be what it used to be. Now, maybe it's injuries, but he's he's fought a lot of fights. He's fought often. He's been injured often, and he's taken a lot of abuse in every single – what's Tony Ferguson fight he hasn't taken abuse in? I can't think of one. Everybody's gotten to him. Cowboy got to him. Oliveira got to him. Gaethje got to him. Pettis got to him. Everybody he's fought has, has put hands on him and put hand, and made him take tremendous amounts of punishment – on the way to figuring this fight out. So um, he's won a fight early. Yeah, like when he just even when he went early against Cowboy, he was taking a, that first round was give and take. That was back and forth. Gleason Tebow, yeah. 2015 was the last time he, he won a fight in the first round. Almost all his fights re- resorted in him, especially in the past couple of years, have resorted in him taking a tremendous amounts of abuse. Tony Ferguson lot. He can grapple, he can wrestle, he can go into scrambles, he can actually look for submissions. He's actually a fair a He's got a good kickboxing skill set. He's actually got a good set of tools as far as boxing. His jab, his counter uppercut, his check hook, it's really all there. The reason Tony Ferguson struggles the way he is is because he insists on fighting in this manner where his momentum and his aggression and his volume and his durability are the key factors. Not his length, not his versatility on his feet, not his creativity on the ground, his volume, his durability, and his pace. That's what determines almost all his fights. He gets cracked early, dropped early, stunned early, and basically just keeps going and, and drowns you under wave after wave of aggression, wave after wave of the shite, wave after wave of physical contact, extended exchange, clinch exchanges. That's what he does. And against Charles Oliveira, that exposed him because he's not quite as durable as he used to be. And all that freedom of spinning elbows and, and chances you take require you to be very durable because you're opening yourselves up for counters and big shots. He doesn't have that durability anymore. He has the skill sets to fight a disciplined, aggressive, controlled aggression fight. But the question is, does he have the discipline to do it? He has the skills. He could just stick on his jab and front kick to the body, front kick to the face, jab one, two, stay on his toes, jab, 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 hit you with a check hook, turn around, hit you with a cross. He could do all that stuff. He can pivot. He can find angles. But he's chosen not to do that. And now, even though he has the skills, I'm not sure if mentally he can flip that switch. If he can, he should beat Dariush. Dariush is big. Dariush is strong. Dariush throws very heavy. He's not explosive puncher, but he's very heavy. And he, he's very disciplined in how he enters into clinch exchanges, very disciplined in how he enters into striking range. But Dariush isn't really durable. You can get Dariush on the feet. Uh, Fajera had him rocked a couple times. Fajera had him backed out a couple times. Fajera threatened him with submissions a couple times. It's just that Dariush's physicality and his consistency and how he he constantly puts pressure on you and he attacks on multiple levels, eventually broke him down. So to me, the, the Fajera fight and the Ferguson fight has a lot of similarities because Tony can get him at a distance. He can look for submissions and scrambles and he's got enough aggression and that's forward pressure where if he lands a shot, he can open up on Dariush and Dariush will be right there for it. Dariush isn't good off the back foot. He's not a great counterfighter when he's being pushed back. The problem for Ferguson is 
a lot of his success on the feet is based on the fact that people don't want to go on the ground with him. They feel like they can't hang with him. He'll reverse him. He'll escape. He'll throw him with submissions. Darius isn't afraid of that. Darius is engaged with some of the best grapplers in the UFC and the world on the ground. He'll gladly engage on it, and he'll gladly get position. And if he gets position on Ferguson, he's just going to chop him up. And if Ferguson starts going for those scrambles, he's got to be aware that he could be submitted as well. So really the fight comes down to how disciplined Ferguson can be and how he can take advantage of Darius's constant pressure. Is he going to actually show some variation in what he does? Like he'll use some pressure, he'll fight off the back foot a little bit, he'll show a little bit more discipline, he'll jab, use his length, use his distance, or is he just going to sit, start throwing spinning shit and doing these rolling thunders and wild takedowns? Because if he's going to do that, he's going to expose himself and Darius is going to slowly chop him down and, and, and win a decision. If he stays deliberate and patient and ups the, the aggression in spots, I think he can stop Darius. He might even submit him because Darius isn't, like I said, he's not a dynamic finisher. He's not a dynamic submission guy. And um, due to his pressure and, and, the, and the fact that he's kind of consistent in how he approaches, he'll give you opportunities to finish him. But you have to stay in the game long enough to find him. You just can't, unless you're a top-end athlete, you just can't explode on him and land a big shot. you got to set it up. You've got to find him in exchanges. You've got to create openings with your jab. You've got to do a couple things to get to him. I don't know if Tony Ferguson has the discipline to do that Do that right now. He has a skill set. He can do a lot of things, but he's fought really dumb for like the better part of seven years. He's fought like an idiot, and it's finally starting to catch up to him. So what else on this card stands out to you? Is there anything else that kind of caught your eye for Saturday? Um, Give me one second. Let me double check. Uh, the, the Shane Burgos-Edson Barbosa fight is kind of interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like they're trying – Burgos is trying to break through and get a name guy, a name win. And Barboza's had a kind of iffy time at featherweight. So he's trying to break through and have a win over guy who's got some kind of, who's got a little bit of momentum behind him. So you have two fighters who are, who are a little bit flawed strategically. And uh, one's a better athlete. And both guys are trying to kind of get to that next level to where they can challenge an elite guy in the division like a Max Holloway or a Brian, a... Uh, Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Brian Ortega or a uh, Volkanovski or somebody of that nature. They're trying to get to the next level. Um, Barboza's never been there. He's been struck. He's kind of been hit or miss at featherweight. And Burgos, every time he's, he's been just at the precipice of getting over that hump, he's been kind of beaten fairly dramatically. So um, that's interesting because it's kind of a crossroads fight. Barboza's on the later half of his career, and Burgos, as good as he can be technically, and as busy as he is and as exciting as he is, his fight style doesn't tend to make for very long careers. So this matchup, either guy could get seriously hurt and take a tremendous step back. And I don't really think either guy is going to be elite three, two to three years from now right now. I think this is a fight that both guys have to win right now because if they don't, uh, they might not really have any spot in the featherweight division outside of being names to build other fighters off of. For me, I'm looking at this KGB fight. She's lost three in a row. She's fighting Antonina Shevchenko. And I'm interested in this fight because I remember when KGB was supposed to be, she was that signing that Kay Hansen was supposed to be. She was assigning that some of the other women that they brought in, like a Tracy Cortez or some of the other women that they brought in from the Contender Series, she was who they were supposed to be, or she she was who they are becoming. Meaning like they're becoming more of a focal point for the UFC. They're someone that they want to elevate. Uh, KGB was supposed to be that person. Um, she won three fights straight, and then she started facing like the upper echelon of the women's division, and she started dropping fights. I mean, she dropped three in a row. 
losing to Joanne Calderwood, Lauren Murphy, and Roxanne Martafari. So she's fighting Antina Shevchenko, who looked a lot better in her last fight, um, submitting Ariane Lipinski like it was basically nothing. So, or, or excuse me, beating her. Um, she uh, TKO uh, Ariane got submitted by someone else, but. And uh, Antonina continues to improve. I mean, she's working with her sister, Rose Namajunas, and other uh, other individuals who are, who are helping her getting uh, get better along the way. So I'm interested in seeing this fight here because I think this may be KGB's last time fighting in, in the UFC. Yeah, I was never sold on her. Uh, she's she's not a good enough athlete. She's not in any instance of explosiveness and power or physical strength. She's like a good striker, but she's a striker who's not so much a good overall striker. She's got a very deliberate system and approach to striking that allows to make the most of her physical tools, usually activity and accuracy, which is fine against lower level. If you look, like you said, you, you see the girls she beat. I don't know if all those girls are still in the UFC anymore. They were barely UFC level fighters. Yeah, the, have, uh, go ahead. I think Ashley Smith may still Smith, she's not bad, but she's like a big, strong athlete. She doesn't, yeah. I, I mention athleticism because it's an equalizer. If you're a forward skill in athleticism, you can still compete. You can still win. It doesn't work the reverse. If you're a, if you're a, excuse me, if you're like a ten in athleticism and you're a foreign skill, you can't be a foreign athleticism and a ten in skill and think you're going to compete. The gap, the gaps are too wide. You have to have a certain measure of athleticism just to compete at a certain level. Or you just have to have tremendous cardio because you have to give everything you have just to stay in the cage. KGB is. An average athlete. She's got an average power. She's got good striking skills, not great. She's very accurate. She throws highly, a fairly high amount of volume, but she doesn't handle physicality very well. Roxy Modafari was backing her up with volume and physicality. Lauren Murphy's not a great athlete. She was backing her up with physicality and volume. Anthony Shevchenko is a good enough striker that she can strike on even turns with KGB, and that could be close. But the difference is Antonina, I think, is, I think Antonina is big for the weight class, for one. And two, she started to use that in her grappling. Mm -hmm. I don't think be can get through like the first round should be competitive, but if Antonina starts putting her body on her and, and making her defend takedowns and getting her to the ground, she's just gonna break her down. I don't know if she'll finish her, but she'll, she's a bigger, stronger, and at least, if not a better striker, which I'm sure she is, she's at least on par with her as a striker. The difference is the physicality, the athleticism, and the size the KGB doesn't have. I, I fully expect her to be getting her pink slip. She she's been figured out and she doesn't have any other depth to her skill set or any other variation in her approach to help her navigate her flaws as, a, as an athlete, job developing her. She's got a surface level skill set. You get past that, what else has she shown? She's been the same fighter in every fight, win or lose. You would think at some point you start going to your plan B or plan C. I don't think she has one. True, true. Um, let's move on for time's sake and let's talk about the boxing showcase from Saturday. And I say showcase because it looks like every Canelo fight is becoming more and more of a showcase for him. But, um, yeah, he stops uh, Saunders via, I guess it was corner stoppage. Saunders' eye was jacked the fuck up. So, I mean, what like what's next for him? Uh, we're going to talk about Andre, uh, uh, Demetrius Andre in a second, but what's next for Canelo? Is he just line him up and get him out of there? Like, what, like, what is this guy going to do? It's almost like that. I talked to a former guest on the show, uh, Steve Kim. You know, he used to work at ESPN, does Max, does his own boxing show, the, the three knockdown rule, Mario Lopez. Still talk to him, good friend, good resource. 
The funny thing about Canelo is Canelo is the biggest earner, the most popular fighter, and out of all the guys in multiple weight divisions, Canelo is the only guy fighting three, four, five times a year. That's why he's calling all the shots, because not only is he the biggest name but and the one everybody wants to see, but he keeps giving people what they want. He keeps giving them more Canelo. Now, he doesn't fight world-class guys every time out, but what he does is he's routinely putting himself out there to compete, which is what the fans want. Even people who hate him have to admit, admire his work ethic, and that's what's separating him from everybody else. Everybody else is sitting around, excuse me, fighting lower-class guys or just waiting on the sideline for Canelo to choose them. And what, what that does is that slows you down because – you're not, you might be sparring, but you're not getting, you're not preparing to be in fight shape. You're not preparing to be fight sharpness. You're not preparing for a live opponent or different kinds of opponents with different kinds of styles and physical tools. So there's only so much the sparring is going to do when there's no end in sight to it. That's why Canelo's a step ahead of these guys. He's already got like 50, 60 fights. He had like 45 fights like a couple of years ago. He's, mm-hmm. he's fought so much that he's learned on the job as well as in being in those camps. You're in two or three camps a year. You don't get a chance to get out of shape. Every technical improvement you make takes a huge step forward because you're always you're always sharp. You don't have to reset this and get back to here. You started the last fight here, last camp here for the fight. Now you start right back from there, here. Right back from there, here. Everybody else is here and goes back. So he's got the advantage because everybody's on his side because he's constantly fighting. And he's also got the advantage of I'm sharper than you because I'm constantly testing myself in sparring and I'm constantly testing myself in fights. That's a, that's a separation. That's why nobody can dictate terms to him. He's not only the biggest name, biggest earner, he's fighting like a guy. He's fighting like when Bernard Hopkins was trying to make his name. Anybody, anybody, he can, anybody everyone he can fight, he's going to fight, even though he's getting paid 10 times more than Bernard Hopkins got. So he's got respect, and he's got all the, he's got all the leverage. He calls the shots, and none of these guys can say anything because they're not fighting. All they can say is, you should fight me. You're scared of me. Dude, I just fought BJ Saunders. He was undefeated, world champion. I just fought him. I moved up. From my weight class of 154 all the way to 168, I already fought Kovalev. I'm not scared of anybody because I'm constantly fighting. You're scared, and you're hanging out for a payday trying to call me out. Nobody has any legs to stand on. Nobody so has I want to use that as a segue to talk about um, Demetrius and- uh, Andre because I'm not too familiar with him, but his name was uh, definitely trending after Canelo's win on Saturday because he basically barges into the press conference trying to call out Canelo. And Canelo, just, Canelo was so dismissive to him. He was dismissing him like I've seen guys in nightclubs dismiss women away from like their VIP bars. Like that's how bad it was. He was just shooing them away and saying that he's not going to fight Andre. And Andre's just trying to get a payday, which is, mimics what you just said. Who is uh, Andre and should we even consider him? Should we be interested as, as boxing fans in seeing him fighting Canelo? Stylistically, you could say that because he's a good boxer. He's defensively sound. He's got quick hands, quick feet, good awareness. It's hard to hit him. Um, he's very sharp. He's very accurate. Not very. He doesn't take a lot of chances. He's not a big puncher. He's pretty accurate. He's he's defensively aware. He moves very well. He's a good technical boxer. So from a on paper, it looks like an interesting fight because Canelo in a lot of the fights recently has been clearly the better boxer. Maybe not at range. Maybe not on the inside, but he's always had another. He's had he's had he, he's had a boxing advantage. Whether Golovkin, Golovkin can't fight on the inside. Kovalev, Kovalev can't fight on the inside. B.J. Saunders is a pot shot kind of person, whereas Canelo has layered and nuanced aspects to his his offense. So he can attack you from different levels. He can attack you from different points, different angles, and can overwhelm a surface level defense, no matter how good it is. 
So we've seen different aspects from Canelo, boxer, boxer puncher, um, brawler to a certain body puncher. But on paper, he hasn't faced somebody who maybe has the athleticism, the, the athleticism, the mobility, and and the slickness of a uh, of an Andrade. I mean, I guess Laura's pretty close to it, but I, I feel like Laura was a little bit closer to his physical decline by the time he fought he fought a Canelo. Um, on paper, it's it's interesting strategically. It's not interesting based on excitement because if you look at Demetrius Andrade's record, there's like a bunch of decision wins. And in, in the last what ten years, there's one, two, there's like seven or eight KOs. There's like ten, eleven, twelve decisions. Every time he faces a certain kind of opponent who's a threat to him, he tends to go safety first and tr- just tries to outbox them. He doesn't have any leverage because he's not exciting. He doesn't have any leverage because he doesn't have a fan base. And he also doesn't have the leverage because he's never taken chances in his career. He's never forced anybody's hand to fight the biggest names. He hasn't fighting Charlo. He didn't fight Danny Jacobs. He hasn't ever been able to get Golovkin. And part of it is they say guys are ducking him. But part of that's because you don't have any interest. You don't have anything that anybody wants. And you don't make enough money to have guys come to you for these fights. So he's trying to create interest any way he can. He's doing his job. That's what he has to do because nothing he's done in the ring has piqued the interest of fans. And the casual fans are the ones who matter, not the hardcores. The casual fans, for him to be able to entice entice Canelo. And if I, if I remember correctly, I think Canelo's a weight class above him now. I think he's. I think Andrade still fights at 160, or maybe he just moved up to 168. If he did, he doesn't have a title. So he's not a seller. He's not popular. He's not exciting. He's not an exciting style, and he has no title. There's no reason for Canelo to go after him. And he can't say Canelo's scared because Canelo's already fought Floyd Mayweather, Austin Trout, Ezreliandi Laura, BJ Saunders, Sergey Kovalev. He's Golubkin twice, Danny Jacobs. These are guys who are multiple world champions across multiple weight classes and were some, at one point the best in their division. He followed these guys. He's not afraid of Demetrius Andrade. Demetrius Andrade just doesn't make sense. He's another. He's a better version of D, BJ Saunders. He's a young, maybe a younger version of a Laura, a defensive guy who slick counters and pot shots and finds openings for his accurate sharp punches. That's not selling any fights, and he doesn't have a title to draw Canelo in either. So he's doing. He's trying to draw attention. I don't think it's going to work. Can he's Canelo's only going to fight him if he wants to. And to be quite honest, Canelo probably beats him. Canelo's already fought top level boxers with skills. He's already fought the best defensive fighter in our generation, Mayweather, one of the other best in Laura, one of the other best in Saunders. What's Andrade going to do that he's not ready for? Andrade has never faced anybody close to Canelo's caliber. Look at his entire record. Nobody within two to three levels of Canelo's caliber. Canelo's fought guys better than Andrade. He fought guys way better than over the entire of his career. It, it's not even close. It'd be an interesting fight, but I watch, watch a couple Andrade fights and then tell me if you want to see him fight Canelo. So my question is, who is that guy then? Who's the guy that will shock the world when he faces Canelo and we'll see the big headlines late Saturday night or early Sunday morning that he's been stunned and, and knocked out? Who is that guy that, that you think can can be that name? If he moves up weight classes, you know, you got Beer to be, Bivol maybe. Um, if he stays where he's at, um, Benavidez has a chance. He's big. He's got a good jab. He's fast hands. Um I mean, Charlo is probably the best bet because he's athletic. He can box. He's not a dynamic puncher, but he's a punishing one. And he's got a good he's got a good camp. He's got a good skill set. And he's fairly active himself. He might be the one. But 
like I said, the biggest the biggest problem isn't that Canelo is so is so much better than these guys. It's just he's working so much harder. He's actively fighting on a regular basis. Whether you think the guys are easy or the guys are soft touches, the fact is he's actively staying in fights, which means he's actively staying in camps almost year round. I don't think Canelo's going to be around for the next ten years. I think he's got two or three years tops, and then he's out of here. If you tell me on paper who's the guy who's just going to beat him right off the bat, there's nobody who's going to be out there where you just say, oh, he's got a 50-50 shot, not off what they've shown, no matter what they've said. He's actually faced the better competition than most of these guys in the past five to seven years. He's faced better competition. He's fought more often. And um, right now, he's just he's just so much sharper. I'm not saying he can't be beat. He doesn't have really fast feet. He, has, he hasn't really faced a guy recently who's a dynamic athletic puncher, not really. And he's had guys where he's basically had a lot of the advantages in the fight as far as depth of skill, sharpness, and maybe even some physical tools. But the fact of the matter is everything Canelo does is rooted in fundamental skill. Mm-hmm. And he's really dedicated to this craft and his time. He's dedicated like like he's getting paid $40 to fight, but he's getting paid like $40 million. Um, I, I wouldn't favor anybody over him right now. I'm not saying anybody can't beat him. I'm just saying I'm not favoring anybody over him until I see something and one of these guys fights each other and has a dynamic win against each other. That might that might tell me something. But fighting the guys they're fighting, beating the guys they're beating, that doesn't tell me anything about their ability to beat Canelo. That doesn't tell me anything at all. Understood there, sir. Um, I, I like watching Canelo fight. I think he he brings people in, but I, I always wonder when we see him compete against individuals, is this the guy that's going to surprise everybody? That's kind of what I'm watching. It's a little different than when I watched – Floyd, like I felt like Floyd fought people at a time where you knew people weren't going to, you knew Manny wasn't going to win that fight. You knew that Connor wasn't going to win and you knew that he was fighting Diego Corrales at, at the right time. So it's a little bit different with Canelo. I feel like he's taking a little bit more risk that yes. might come back to bite him in the ass. Um, he's, he's fighting guys closer to their prime. Billy Joe Saunders is closer to his mm-hmm. prime than Pacquiao was when Floyd fought him. And same thing with Miguel Cotto. He fought, he's fighting these guys well, they still have a lot to give when they're in the middle of their peaks. So he's taking more chances, but that's also why he fights so often because he understands the threat. He understands he's the cash cow. He, he understands how much money's on the table. Right now, the only loss he has is to the guy who people consider one of the top, let's say, five fighters of all time, maybe top one through three. That's the only guy he has lost to, and it was a decision loss. He hasn't and lost that. He would, he would kill him. Yeah, at this point. But even then, Floyd wasn't what he was. Like, let's not yeah. take anything with Floyd. Canelo wasn't the boxer he is. He was still learning. Floyd wasn't the athlete he was. He was in decline. But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, if he wins all these other fights and he goes up to light heavyweight and beats one of the elite contenders, maybe he never overtakes Floyd because Floyd will have that win over him. But it'll be a, it'll be a definite argument because Floyd never moved up as many weight classes and Floyd's never beaten as many active, young world champions. BJ Saunders isn't that far off a of title defense. He's still considered one of the better guys in the division. If, if Canelo beats... Caleb Plant next. Caleb Plant's considered one of the better guys in the division, and he's young. That's something that Floyd stopped doing. I mean, he's stopped doing like ten years ago. He stopped fighting young. Judah, maybe. Like that was probably like like even even Zab was. But that but that was before he became Money Mayweather. He didn't become Money Mayweather until he fought Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, that's his prime. Miguel Cota, good. I mean, yeah. I mean, even Ricky Hatton, like he started fighting guys that when they were like past their prime at at that point in time, right when he became um, Money. So. I don't want to go too much further than that. We've done, I think, a great job of covering probably the two biggest news stories 
of the week and the weekend. Shawan, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on for ratings and otherwise? One thing, real quick. I just want to say congratulations to one Sergio Pettis yes. for his Bellator. Um, I spoke on the podcast said I hoped he win. There's nothing against Archuleta, just for what Sergio Pettis represents, the technique, the fundamentals, the strategy, the sport that we all with. A lot of guys get to short because they have dynamic power, explosiveness, athleticism. He doesn't have any of that. And when he fought like that, it caught it cost him wins in the UFC. And he embraced fully being a technician and a craftsman in his art. And he won a fight against a very tough, sturdy opponent. Um, Sergio's been the best Pettis for three or five years right now. If Anthony had his skills, Anthony would still have the title belt. And the biggest reason, on Twitter I picked him because he's got that beautiful jab, that beautiful footwork. And Archuleta is a good, tough champion, but he doesn't have many ideas. He doesn't have a depth of skill. With the skill, yes. Depth of skill, no. He starts losing. His only answer is to go harder, throw more volume, be tougher, to grind you out. Sergio Pettis showed a masterclass on how to disrupt momentum, control pacing, and use disciplined aggression to essentially break down and out-hustle a much more physically durable and much more physically gifted fighter. He didn't outfight Archuleta, but he did outslick him and he did outsmart him. Congratulations to Sergio Pettis for winning that title. And they're two brothers with world titles in the biggest organizations in history. That's that's quite the accomplishment for the Pettis family. True. And what I, I it's always that situation where the younger brother kind of comes along and outperforms the older brother. So. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, Sergio had a big win, and he's still young too, as well. He's he's um, he's been active enough, but not active where he's taking a whole bunch of damage and and, and being knocked around. So I, I I am happy to see that win as well, and I'm looking forward to what's next for him. He's like, the San, Antonio, he's like the San Antonio Spurs or the Tim Duncan. He's not flashy, he's not dynamic, but he gets the job done, and he does it. When you look back on it, people are gonna wish they appreciate him more when they look back on how technical and how deliberate he is. It's easy to appreciate jumping off the fence, the double yeah. knee, the welterweight. It's hard to appreciate the hours and the focus and dedication it comes to put on flawless performances against world-class opposition. That takes real dedication, real love for the sport, because it ain't easy. One mistake, it's over for him. To be able to fight almost perfectly three, four fights in a row and do it at the highest level at two of the biggest organizations in the world, that, that man will ne never be appreciated for what he's done as well as he's done it. Very true there, sir. So now let's segue into what you're working on. Um, I have a piece of, because I, I do the comic book piece, I have a piece on Black Lightning for character Thunder that Mike is holding hostage. I don't know why. The show's going to be ending soon, so we might as well put it out there. Um, I'll, be doing the, I'll be doing the article on Black Widow and... Um, I, there's a couple subjects I'm thinking about talking about um, as far as the MMA. It just depends on how some things things break out. I'm trying to convince him to get him to uh, let me do a boxing article because every time we do little clips of the boxing and stuff, people always really hit me up about it. And I can't help but feel that there'd be a lot of people who would just at least want to get my take on something as far as boxing because very few mixed martial arts programs cover boxing with any sort of context or understanding of boxing. Or even if they do think they have an understanding – other people who are in the boxing like fighters or writers, no offense to these guys, don't respect them because they don't really know the sport. I don't have that problem. I've been in boxing gyms. I've sparred pros and amateur champions before. I know coaches. I help amateur boxers. I've done all that. So it's a little carries a little bit more weight when I say things. So I'm going to try to get him to let me do at least one or two boxing articles just to see what happens. Just to see. Good stuff there, sir. I'm 
always covering as much wrestling as possible. I will be coming with a uh, Let's Talk Wrestling podcast this week. It's been about a month, so I got to get back into that because there's really a lot to talk about. But, you know, the country is opening back up. I should say D.C. is opening up in one month. Uh, 30 days, 29 days, and somebody may be counting. I'm not necessarily saying it's me, but I'm it's looking forward to that. Crazy. Stay on the streets. Stay on the streets this summer. Listen, Schwann, I'm just going to say let's start a GoFundMe now for the MMA ratings uh, community because I will probably need bell money. That yep. first. And you don't know, it, it pissed me don't off. Don't be behind Howard doing the podcast. I don't see the podcast of you on the. Yeah, okay, Schwann. We, we only got one take, man. We got to get this done quick. We only got one they take. Don't, they don't open the country back up on like a Monday. No, they open the country up on a Friday. Like they know what they're doing at Friday at like three o'clock too. So they know what they're doing. They, they. People, people getting off of work ready, ready to go. Don't fuck around taking that day off. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm working around doing my, doing my thing, but we will be back next week as always with another edition of this show to recap what goes down this weekend and we'll recap Charles Oliveira walking out of the UFC cage with that with the lightweight title around his belt, no, around his waist, knowing how things go for us. But we'll see what what uh, what goes down. But as always, we'll be back here for next week for episode 205 uh, of the MMA Ratings Podcast. As always, thank you all for taking the time to listen to our show. And stay safe and wear your mask, get vaccinated, and Black Lives Matter. Sean, have a good week. You too. Have a good evening, everybody. <laughs>